We don't get nothing. Unbelievable. What do they tell you to buy? Cards, candy, flowers, diamonds. Every year, diamonds. What are you, pirates? <laughs> it's another year. I want more diamonds. Arrgh. Unbelievable. And it's such a girl holiday. And there's really, frankly, a man couldn't participate properly in Valentine's because we don't get it. Cards. Guys don't care about cards. I'm going to save you a trip to the Hallmark store, ladies. Don't buy us cards. We don't want cards. We don't need cards. We don't like cards. We don't even read cards. The only reason we even open cards is to see if there's money inside. Absolutely. Take the paper, full and half, stick a 50 inside. We're good. Unbelievable. Women actually read the cards. And they're moved. I was thinking of you today on this special... It means you were thinking about me on this special... Like we wrote it. When we're younger, they ate a lot of candy. You get married, things change. You can give her candy, but it's got to be on the right occasion. And she's got to be feeling good about herself. <laughs> when is that time? <laughs> Sometimes candy becomes an insult. Are you saying I'm fat? Uh... No, we don't know. Because suddenly, candy's bad. See, women suddenly get married and suddenly everything that you eat, they're gonna tell you what is good and what is bad. We're just gonna have broccoli and we're gonna have asparagus and we're gonna have Brussels sprouts and Diet Coke, Diet Coke, Diet Coke because we're not gonna have anything bad. I want you to eat good and healthy stuff, Valentine's Day. Candy! And then they make you feel guilty. If you love me, you give me candy. It's not good for you. If I love you, I'll give you a box of broccoli. There you go, that's good. <laughs> hey, here's your 14 carrots right here, sweetheart. Anyway, that's what I'm saying. Comes with a card. <laughs> no money. No, <laughs> oh, it's all right. There are ladies. We do the best we can. We fail. We make mistakes. We blunder. But fear not. Fear not. God knew that we wouldn't understand their mind and we'd make horrible and tactical errors. And so he invented a female mind eraser to make everything better, no matter what bad thing you do. Of course, I'm speaking of flowers. <laughs> flowers make Everything better. Women love flowers. They adore flowers. They can't get enough flowers. You know why? <laughs> Me neither. Because <laughs> guys know what flowers are. Dead plants. That's why men always leave flowers in the ground. So everybody can enjoy them and have the experience. Women are ruthless. Oh, they are so beautiful. Cut them down. Bring them inside. <laughs> They're starting to wilt. It's okay. I've got a vase with water and special powder so they appear to be alive. It's like embalming fluid. <laughs> I'm telling you, flowers are women's version of hunting. They're ruthless. I tell you that because they get mad at men for hunting. Why? Because guys hunt deer, right? Girl sees deer, she sees Bambi. <laughs> we see a deer, we see Bam! Different thing. 
Now they get mad at us. You hunt deer, you are so mean. Well, you hunt flowers. <laughs> at least I only hunt stuff that has a chance to run away. Good morning. Happy Super Bowl Day. Happy, I'm sorry, not let's say that. Happy Big Game Day. Okay, is that better? And then happy Valentine's Day a little bit early. Guys, go do something. Go ahead and stand up. We're going to worship God for what he has done. You know, he loves us. That's a way better love to talk about right now, okay?
testimony. Have a seat. Look over here to my right. All right. You're going to hear this word story a lot today. And it's really cool to be in here with Connie right now and to share in her story. Uh, she has been a follower of Jesus for the majority of her life. Um, and yet this is a place that she never found herself in, and she has felt convicted on that over the last few months. And she is thrilled to be able to be in this place with us right now. Uh, just even talking backstage, some of the things she's sharing with us, this is a big, big deal to her, and it's a big, big deal to us, and we're very grateful to be a part of that. I think it's really cool, all right? All right, Connie, I'm going to ask you to repeat this confession of faith with me, all right? I believe, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the Living God, the Son of the Living God, and my personal Lord and Savior. And my personal Lord and Savior. Fantastic. It's because of your confession of faith that Doc and I have the extreme honor to baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Oh, isn't, isn't that a great way to continue our worship service this morning? What a wonderful story that is right there for her to be able to share. Hey, my name is John. This is Jess. We want to welcome you to Capital City today. We're glad that you've taken time to come and join us on this day of worship. Uh, uh, when you came in, hopefully you saw maybe on the back of the chair in front of you a red card that says connect on it. And especially if you're a guest today, if this is your first time with us, we'd love to connect with you. So if you don't mind uh, grabbing one of those cards, uh, filling it out, at least just get us your name, your number, maybe even an email address. We just want to follow up with you, just just welcome you to the church, let you know what God's doing in this place, and, and provide you some information. And you can drop those off in the offering boxes a little later in the service, or you can drop those off at the Welcome Center on your way out this morning. A few things that I do want to make you aware of that are going to be coming up here over the next uh, week or two. Of course, uh, if you're in here for the uh, the pre-service, you saw Brad Stein, the comedian. He's going to be here Tuesday evening. Uh, we've got this sort of next-gen Valentine fundraiser event that's going to take place. I will be in the Connections Room out in the lobby this morning following service if you want to pick up tickets. They're $20 a piece or $35 for a couple. It also includes dinner, so we'll have dinner down in the gym at 6 o'clock, a spaghetti dinner for you with uh, salad, dessert, breadsticks, all those good kind of things. And then Brad will be here in the main worship center starting around 7 or just a few minutes after. To that, so we'd love for you to come be a part of that. Uh, join us in helping us uh, get our next gen ministry off and running this this uh, 2024 as they, they raise funds to help cover some of their summer trips and activities and things like that. So, see me in the connection room if you haven't already picked up tickets. Uh, if you're still not sure if you can make it or not, if you, and Tuesday night opens up for you, then feel free to come, okay? But, guys, don't just buy one ticket, buy two. Bring your wife or your girlfriend with you, okay? It's not a good Valentine when you come by yourself. So, so that's Tuesday night. Also, next Sunday morning, following our second, following the 11 o'clock worship service, we're having what we call our first look lunch. And so that's where if you're new to Capital City, you're still trying to, you know, you like maybe some more information about who we are, about what we're doing, uh, what God means to us in this place, what, what baptism means to us. We'd love to invite you to come to a lunch. You don't have to bring anything. All you got to do is show up. 12.15, next Sunday morning, down in the gym. Uh, we'll have everything for you, uh, and, and we'll 
just share a little bit about our vision, uh, give you the nickel tour of the facility. This place can be a bit of a maze trying to make your way around, but we'll do that with you as well. We're usually together for about an hour, hour and a half, something like that. So uh, put that on your calendar. Come be a part of that next Sunday morning following the 11 o'clock service. And then also, we're, we're kicking off a new month. It's February, and uh, our goal for 2024 has been to do, uh, again, to do a nudge each month. So we want to try to have 12,000 nudges throughout the year, and so we're, we've done 1,000 for the month of January. We've got another 1,000 that we want to do here in the month of February. And, and just to sort of to set it up, watch this video clip real quick. This month, Cap City is spreading the love in our community by handing out roses. And I'm going to make it my goal to let the women of our staff know they're recognized. And this time, I'm not going to let Doc take the credit. So yeah, we have roses for you to take this morning. They'll be out in the lobby on tables. They're already wrapped. They've got a little card on them. Uh, and so we just ask you to grab a couple of those. Hand them out to somebody maybe at the grocery store today, maybe at lunch, maybe it's a neighbor, maybe it's a family member who needs to know that they're loved not just by you but also by our Heavenly Father. And uh, don't kiss them, okay? Let's stay away from that side of it kind of thing. But we hope that you'll help. we got a 1,000. Well, we have 999 of them. One of them disappeared out of my box the other day. Not sure exactly how that made it to Julie's car, but it did. So, But we have 999 wrapped roses. You can help us out with that today. That would be awesome, okay? They'll be out in the lobby. Grab some on your way out this morning. So apparently today's a, a big day from what I understand. Um, apparently there's a game of some kind going on out in Las Vegas. And so, you know, one of my favorite uh, things to do is listen to sports talk radio. And, and there's one of my favorite uh, commentators is a guy named Colin Cowherd. I don't, I don't know how many of you listen to Colin Cowherd or not, but he has this thing called Tomorrow's Headlines Today. Okay. And so uh, this morning we've got maybe what are going to be tomorrow's headlines today. And we want you to help us out by uh, you let us know which one you think is the best, okay? And we'll, do, and we'll base that on applause is how we'll do that this morning, okay? So, so if you like the headline, you give us your applause off of that, and we'll see where we end up at the end. So today we've got today, I mean, tomorrow's headline number one today is... Ain't it pretty? 49ers breakthrough for their first championship in nearly 30 years. Okay, so, so apparently, apparently we have some uh, 49ers fans in the building this morning, or we have a lot of people that don't like the Chiefs. I'm not sure which one that is, so, okay? Okay, here we go. Tomorrow's headline number two today. Kansas City Gold Rush. Chiefs set a new gold standard. Hmm. Sort of, sort of. Sort of not a lot of not a lot of uh, support there for that one. You know, Jess was sharing with us this morning in our staff prayer time that uh, she can almost guarantee that the Chiefs are going to win. And apparently, there's some kind of a mathematical equation that goes with this. Okay, so as you see, Travis Kelsey wears number 87. Taylor Swift's favorite number is 13. 87 plus 13 equals 
100. A 100% chance the Chiefs are going to win today. That's what Jess was sharing with us this morning in our staff prayer time. So she is guaranteeing 100% certainty that they're going to win. She brought that up in prayer time. Yeah. You know, so. So. Uh, how about tomorrow's headline number three for today? Love in Las Vegas. Kelsey wins hearts with a 50-yard line proposal after the Super Bowl win. Anybody, huh? Uh, only the teenage girls are interested, and Jess are interested in that particular headline, aren't they? So I did think it was funny the other day. I saw a video clip. Somebody, had, they, one, of the, one of the reporters asked Travis Kelsey, who's, who's more likely to get a ring on Sunday evening, the San Francisco 49ers or Taylor Swift? And he said the Chiefs are going to get the ring, and, but he did not go anywhere with the Taylor Swift thing. So, But according to Jess, it's happening tonight on the 50-yard line at about 1030. So unless they lose. Yeah, if they lose, it's probably out. Okay, last one. Tomorrow's headline number four today. Ushering in the participation trophy, the least talented pop star in the building performs the halftime show. <laughs> so, yeah. How many of you watch the halftime show anyway? Do you? Yeah, a few of you do? Okay, you young people, yeah, y'all do. The rest of us are getting snacks during the halftime show. Hey, but, you know, hey, how, how wild would that be if we could think tomorrow's headlines today for us? Have you thought about that regarding your story, what tomorrow's headline would be? Thank goodness that's not dependent upon us, is it? It's something that Jesus has already done. He has written our story. And that's the thing that we get to continue to celebrate today, the fact that he loves us and he's got our story written out for us. Let's continue to worship him this morning. Stand with us. Let's do that today.
Father, we give you glory and honor and praise for what you have done in our lives. Every time that we gather here together, we are surrounded by other people who understand that your grace is magnificent, understand that it's amazing and wonderful. And Father, it is that grace that brings us together. It is the work of Jesus Christ in each of our life. It's him writing his story right over the top of ours and doing something amazing, pretty outstanding. So thank you so much, Father, for what you have done, for what Jesus Christ has done. And we celebrate you. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Why don't you guys have a seat for a second? I want to tell you, as we get into this uh, time where we were able to commune with God, this is something that Jesus Christ set up when he was walking this earth. And uh, it is something that we want to make sure that we celebrate every time that we gather together. It is a way for us to memorialize the work of Jesus Christ, his death on a cross, and when he was resurrected. Right before he was hung on a cross, he established this so that we can remember that this sacrifice, everything that he has done, is in order for us to be able to have a relationship with God. Everything that he has done is so that we can have hope and that his story can be written over the top of ours. So when you go to the tables in just a few moments, you get a chance to be able to take some bread and juice. And these emblems are a reminder of his body and his blood that were sacrificed for you. If this place is home and you want to give an offering, we have boxes at each of the stations. Please give with a cheerful heart. Don't worry about it if you don't have anything that you don't want to bring at all, because that is not a requirement. But for those that have given themselves to God, you see that this is an act of worship as well. We do this other strange thing here at Cap City called the Generous Buckets, and each of these are at the stations that are outside of the offering that you've chosen to bring today if you want to bring something. I want to make sure that when you go to the tables, you're thinking about this 2 Corinthians passage, and I want you to be able to hear it and see it. It says this in the second letter to this church in Corinth. It says these words, You show, he's talking to these Christians, you show that you're a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. We talk about his spirit a lot. And I want you to ask, boldly ask that his spirit will guide you today. That his spirit will guide you tomorrow and the next day. Because when we talk about the story, it's nothing that you can do on your own. When we talk about Jesus' story, it's not something that you by yourself are able to do. You're going to have to ask that his spirit can dwell within you and do the work for you. And I know it sounds kind of weird, but we'd love to be able to unpack that with you a little bit more later on. But I'm telling you this, once you have seen what grace can do in your life, you will never want your story to be out in the front anymore. Once you see that grace has changed you, the world will sit up and take notice. I want that to be on your hearts as you go to the tables right now. Let's do that together.
In 2005, I was a kid getting ready to graduate from college. I was on the verge of uh, finding a job. I began looking, trying to find a church where I could go into student ministry. That was my plan. And uh, at the time, my wife, Christina, her father was a preacher up in Northeast Missouri. He'd been a professor at a couple different Bible colleges. He had a lot of contacts, knew a lot of people. And so he knew a guy who knew a guy who was looking for a youth minister and connected us. And I reached out, sent a resume, it eventually led to that first interview. And I remember the first time I met Tom Farrington. Now, Tom was the lead pastor at this church. And I remember going to dinner with him and his wife, Christina and myself, we're, we're at this table, just the four of us, just starting to meet each other, kind of get to know one another, just casual conversation. And within that, within that conversation, we're kind of figuring each other out. And he asks me a question. He says, Ben, do you have any desire to preach? And I said, absolutely not. <laughs> Zero interest. And he laughed and he said, good, because I don't want to be a youth minister. And it was a good friendship from that point forward. We worked really well together. He ended up going before the elders and the deacons of that church and vouching for me, uh, promising that if they hired me, he would mentor and, and kind of lead me and help develop me in ministry. I was this raw, unfinished product out of college just trying to figure some stuff out. Tom was a, Tom was a great guy. I'd, I'd looked forward to learning from him for years. Tom had a different story. He was an incredible man. He, he had this unique path. Tom started out at college at Mizzou where he got a degree in something agricultural. I don't really know what, what it was for sure. I just know that he got something. He was hired out of college by Tyson. He moved to Iowa with his wife where, they, where he worked for Tyson. I think his job, as best as I can explain it, was that he bought pigs. I don't exactly understand what he did. He had the ability. He could look at pigs and know if they were good or not. Like That's the extent of my knowledge about such things, okay? But as he was doing this in his career, just kind of starting off, he felt something within him that said, this isn't right. And he wrestled with it for some time. Something wasn't right. In fact, he felt like God was writing a different story for his life. And so he began teaching some different classes at his church. Eventually, he found himself at a Bible college. Eventually, he found himself preaching full time. It's a different story. And there's a lot of different things I can say about Tom. He was gentle, he was compassionate, he's, he's very firm, and he's, he's a focused leader as well. So much that I can tell you about him. But the more I find myself talking about Tom, the more I find myself talking about Jesus. In fact, if I were to write Tom's biography, I think there's a decent chance that it would really just be a celebration of Jesus. It's a fascinating idea to think about the stories that we hope will get told. If you go back to our host time, we talk about the Super Bowl coming up and all these different kinds of storylines. We're looking forward to tomorrow and we speculate what the big storyline is going to be. We try to predict them. We do the same thing within our own lives. We do it for our kids. We try to predict out these stories. We want to write their future as best we can, try to make decisions for them about what's best and their preferred future. We do the same thing for ourselves and it starts at a young age. We almost are trained to be this way. People ask us at a very young age, what do you want to be when you grow up? When I was little, I would say tall. <laughs> I should have said rich. <laughs> we, we start trying to lay out who we want to be, right, and how we want to get there. And we start making up all these different stories in our mind, these different successes. And, and if we're honest, sometimes we'll even predict 
our own failures, right? But it doesn't stop there. The older you get, the more these questions just kind of intensify. And so we start getting asked more questions, stuff like, you know, where are you going to go to college? What career are you going to really get into? Not just dreams of a child, but for real. And we start imagining, we start dreaming, we start writing in our mind the story of what our future is going to look like. And we get asked, who are you going to marry? And where are you going to live? And eventually you get asked, when are you going to retire? And we write these stories for the future out in our mind. But in real time, we're writing stories with our lives. The decisions that we make and the actions that we take, the places that we go, the things that we do, we're writing our story. We're writing our own story. What if God wrote your story? What if God wrote your story? How would it be different? How would he answer those questions? What, what would he want you to be when you grow up? Where are you going to go to college? How would God write that story? Who are you going to marry and where are you going to live? When are you going to retire? If he's writing your story, would any of your answers be different than his? And is that a problem? If God wrote your story, I think it would go something like this. I think it would be a celebration of Jesus. If God were to write your story, it would be a celebration of Jesus. Jesus would be the main character. If God wrote your story, you wouldn't even be the main character in your story. It's kind of an interesting thought. Because the truth is, God is writing your story. But you don't have to accept it. You don't. God actually will allow you to write your own story if you wish. One of the more shocking things that God does is that he allows free will, which means that we have the right to hijack the story. We can take the pen from his hands. We can begin to write out our own story. We can make ourselves the central figure, the lead character. God has ways in which he thinks we ought to answer and do things. He has his will, his storyline of what should be, but we have the authority to do what we want. But the best life, a life that's properly lived, a life that's properly thought out should be a reproduction and a reliving of the life of Jesus. Your Christian life begins with Christ and it continues with Christ and it ends with Christ. Meaning, in other words, if God were going to write your story, Jesus is going to be the main character. It's going to be a celebration of Jesus. If God were going to write your story, it's going to be a fifth gospel. It's all about Jesus. Your name might be the title like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It may be at the front of it, but the story's not about them. It's about Jesus. Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, your very lives are a letter that anyone can read by just looking at you. Christ himself wrote it, not with ink, but with God's living spirit, not chiseled into stone, but carved into human lives. And we publish it. We publish it. Hebrews 12 says that Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. That he's the author of your story. And that if you'll, if you'll let him, if you'll let him, he'll be the originator. He'll be the architect. He's the founder. Jesus is the one that makes our story possible. And he writes our story. And when Jesus writes a story, it's always about Jesus. And it's not because he's some sort of egotistical God. It's because he's supreme. It's because he's best. It's because he's the one who died for us. He's the one who loved us first. He's the one who gives grace a face and a name. And that's why he's the main character. And we're invited into this story. A much bigger story.
We try to change our roles. We want to make the story about us, but it's not about us. We're not the main character in our own story. We're a side character. It's kind of like in those awards uh, for the movies and the television shows. There's a category for the best supporting actor or actress. Nobody wants to win that. I mean, it's cool if you win it. It's cool if you're nominated and you're the best at being that, but nobody really wants to be the best supporting actor or actress. We want to be the actor or the actress. We want to be the main character. And it's kind of a hard pill to swallow that you aren't the main character in your story. But you're called to play a part to make Jesus shine all the more. But you're not the main character. It isn't about you, whether you like it or not. Go back to that 2 Corinthians 3 passage. Paul says, you show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry. You show that you are a letter. I want you to think about a monument. Think about like a, like a plaque. Think about maybe like at a museum where they have the displays. Or maybe you're driving down the road and you see a historical marker, right? There's these big plaques. And what they do is they tell a story. Paul says that you're telling a story, that you're a message, that you're a marker, that, that you're a letter, and you get to choose the message. You do. Paul writes this directly to Christians who've accepted Jesus and are learning to follow Jesus. Paul says that since you've chosen to follow Jesus, that's the message you get to tell, and so you need to be living it. But you do get to choose the message. You get to choose the author. Regardless, you're telling a story one way or the other. Your life is either pointing towards Jesus or away from Jesus. Your life is either leading your kids toward Jesus or away from Jesus. Your life is either leading your coworkers towards Jesus or away from Jesus. Your life is leading your neighbors towards Jesus or away from Jesus. And Jesus can be this author of our letter. We are these walking pieces of Scripture. Have you ever recognized that about yourself? Have you ever felt that about yourself? There's a sense in which we are the New Testament letters that Paul writes like this one to the Corinthians, that I'm a letter moving through life, a written document from Jesus into this world so that when people see me, I'm telling them a story. And I can tell them a story about Ben or I can tell them a story about Jesus. I'm leading people towards Jesus or away from Jesus. I choose, but if I choose Jesus, then that kind of makes us like these walking pieces of Scripture. We become these fifth gospels that can be known and read by all men. It's interesting to me. We're reading from 2 Corinthians 3. We're crediting Paul with writing these things. Paul would say this isn't his work. Paul wrote this stuff down, but it's not his work. It's really Jesus. It's Paul's words that we're reading, but he would say that it's Jesus' words because when Jesus is the author, when you let him have the pen, everything in your story is his your words, your actions, your changed life, it's all evidence of Jesus' power in you. Paul goes on and he says, it's written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. Our letters, our lives are so unusual and superior. This story that's being written, it's not being put down in ink, it's written by the Holy Spirit. And that's good because ink can smear. It can wash off. Even permanent ink has ways to be removed, right? Right? What the Holy Spirit writes is eternal. It's better than ink. And then Paul says that it's written not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. And this is where Paul kind of throws us for a loop. This whole time, he's comparing ink and the Holy Spirit. And you would anticipate, you'd anticipate 
the Holy Spirit's going to do something writing on our hearts, and we're going to compare that to ink going down on paper, or maybe even using the word papyrus in Paul's day, right? That's not where he takes it. Paul compares us to tablets. He compares the work of the Holy Spirit writing on your heart to writing on stone tablets, and Paul's audience would have heard him comparing the work of the Holy Spirit in your life to God's work in writing the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments that are written on tablets of stone are held up against the message of the gospel that Paul preached and is written by the Spirit of God in our hearts, and the work of the Holy Spirit is superior. That may catch you off guard. What the Holy Spirit has done in your heart is more valuable, it's more important, it's more powerful than what God did to stones. What God wrote on stones is less compelling, and it's crazy, it's it's wild that what God has done in you is a bigger deal than the Ten Commandments. And it sounds like blasphemy, except that it was predicted by God in the Old Testament. In Ezekiel chapter 11, there's a prophet, Ezekiel, who records the words of God, and God says, I'm going to give them an undivided heart. I'm going to put a new spirit in them. I'm going to remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. See, the nature of how God has revealed himself has changed. God never intended for his relationship with us to be external, but internal. And that means that we become these walking pieces of scripture that are going to be read by the people around us. It's the way that God had always intended it, that his people would be his story. So what story are you telling in Jeremiah 31, another prophet records God's words in a similar way. He says, I'm going to put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. God's law wasn't made for stone. It was made for human hearts. God's relationship with us wasn't meant to be at arm's length while we read from stone or paper. But God says that he's going to put his spirit in us so that he will know his laws. We will know his laws and live by his decrees, which means that we are walking pieces of scripture to be read by the people around us. What story are you telling? I think we like the idea of God over there where I can see him. Arm's length. I think, I think the idea of God speaking to me through stone is more comfortable than God shaping my heart. And so we push Jesus out of our lives. We kind of replace him with our own spiritual accomplishments, our own versions of good deeds, as if we didn't need God, as if somehow we can do it on our own. But that isn't the nature of the relationship that God desires. He never wanted to be an arm's length away. He wanted to be up close and personal. Our perspective should shift towards Paul's from Philippians chapter 1. He says, he who began a good work in you, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. Jesus is doing something in you. He's writing a story. And Jesus is the main character. Jesus himself has begun working something in us and he's begun this good work and it's developing and he's sticking with it and it's better today than it was yesterday. And there's this future when one day it's going to be complete and we won't see it complete because our effort, our work, it's not coming from there. It's because of him. It's not us, it's him. The story isn't really about us. We're secondary. At best, we're a supporting actor. Can you be okay with that? This idea that Paul's writing here in 2 Corinthians, 
marked a fundamentally new way in which God does business with people and it's visible to everyone around you. For the Jesus follower, your relationship with God can be seen in how you live and people are reading your story. So are you writing your own story or are you allowing Jesus to be the author of your life? Are you writing your own story or are you allowing Jesus to be the author of your life? Here's a big idea. Not many people get a biography written about them. That's not a big idea. That's a setup for the big idea, but I want you to follow me, all right? When we're talking about this, we're talking about someone's story being told. Not everyone has a written document transferring the story that they told. Again, you're telling a story and other people are watching it or they're reading it, if you will. Sometimes the story that they lived, other people come along, they write it down, they retell the story, they transcribe the life that you lived and they're going to put it into written form. That's a biography, right? They're telling a story that you told with your life. Not many people get a biography written about them. But just about everyone gets an obituary and a eulogy. Just about everyone. And if you think about it, an obituary, a eulogy, it's a snippet. It's a small, short biography. They're going to read the story that you wrote and they're going to rewrite the story that you wrote or they're going to rewrite the story that Jesus wrote. Go back to my beginning in youth ministry, my first full month, my first month being full-time youth ministry, right out of college, it's June. I had a student who had a, a stepfather of his pass away. He was, died in a wreck. The stepfather didn't have the best of reputations. I think even drinking had been involved in this specific situation. And it was June, first month again in ministry. I'd just gotten there. I'd really even just met this student. I was at a camp with a bunch of high school students when all this took place. They were all friends with this kid who just lost his stepfather. And I didn't really know exactly what role I needed to play and how to help, what I should do. And so I called Tom Farrington, my senior pastor. And I asked him for advice on how to work through it. And so he came along and he mentored and kind of led me through how to handle this moment with my students and for the student who'd lost his stepfather. And so I end up taking this bunch of high school students from camp and we go to this funeral so that we can support their friend, try to encourage him. And then after this funeral, I have this group of kids who've been at camp all week and now they've been in a funeral. It's been a kind of a wild range of emotions for them. And we're back at my house eating lunch. We're sitting in my living room and there was just this weird awkwardness in that space. Most of these students had never been to a funeral before. And so we're sitting there Kids are kind of processing, and they start talking back and forth. They'd, they didn't know this man who'd passed away real well, but they knew stories. I mean, they knew their friend, and he'd, he'd said some things. And they were struggling with the fact that the things said at the funeral didn't exactly match what they thought to be true. The story that this man had written with his life didn't exactly match the story that was communicated at the funeral. I've seen a lot of things at funerals. But the most common story is a life that's lived for self. It's a person who insisted on writing their own story and not allowing Jesus to write their story. 
That's the most common scenario. I've done a funeral for a murder, and I've done funerals for drug overdoses and suicides. And I've also done funerals for for elders who led churches and community servants and for foreign dignitaries. I've done funeral services for young and old and for rich and poor, for religious and non-religious. And most funeral services feel hollow and shallow. There's services where Jesus is no part of the story. And there's services where Jesus may be like a very small part of the story and it even feels like it's kind of being exaggerated how involved he was. And then there's those rare services where Jesus is the central figure. Reminds me of Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. Jesus is teaching and he says, Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. Many people take the wide path, the path where they choose to write their own story. Most people choose to make themselves the central point of their lives and, when that, and then at the end of their life, their services feel hollow and shallow because all we have is their story. They took the pen from Jesus. They didn't allow Jesus to write their story. And when you're dead, your story seems so much less significant when you write it yourself. And it may feel harsh, but it's true. Most ministers think about funerals way more than the average person. Early in ministry, as I began seeing these patterns, it caused me to do some writing for other people, even though they're still alive. In my mind, I have these eulogies written for people that I love, people I care about, even some of you. Docs is written out and ready for print. <laughs> he added that to this. That was not my line. At one point in my life, I decided to write out my own funeral service. And I'm not trying to be weird. This is really kind of dark and weird, right? It's a weird thing. This, ministers have different minds, okay? It's kind of weird. But it became something that I was attentive to. And I didn't like how often I saw stories not being told well or told correctly. And I wanted to make sure that the right things were said about me. And then I realized that if I had to write my own funeral service so that the living would say the right things about me, then I probably didn't live my life as well as I should have. And so I deleted it. Ten months after that very first funeral and that first one I had in youth ministry in June, ten months later I got the extreme honor to help with the funeral for our senior pastor, Tom Farrington, who died unexpectedly in his sleep. A few weeks before that, he'd gone into the doctor. He was expressing some issues with dizziness, and they couldn't exactly figure out what was going on, why it was happening, and so they ended up doing the scan of his head. And when they did, they found this tumor at the front of his brain. And they panicked. They figured that this was causing the problem, so they panicked. They life flight him to a better facility to be able to take care of him. That was a couple hours away. My wife and I get in the car, and we drive there as quick as we can. And when we get to the hospital, we walk in to find Tom into his room. We find him sitting up, smiling, laughing, eating. Everything was fine. This new hospital had, had recognized that it wasn't the tumor. In fact, he just had this issue with vertigo. Now, he was fine. The tumor was new, but it wasn't a big issue. They were going to find a way to treat it. But it really scared him. It really scared him. He had to miss a Sunday preaching. I had to fill in for him. But the next Sunday, the next time that he had 
to be able to preach was Palm Sunday. It was the week before Easter. And that morning he stood in front of the church and he talked about this medical scare that he'd experienced. He talked about the fears that it had created and the searching and the questioning that he'd experienced. It led into some fairly dark days dealing even with his own mortality. And he stood in front of our church that morning, Palm Sunday, the week before Easter, and he very confidently said, I'm ready to go. I've worked through it in my mind. I've, I've thought through it, and I don't want to die. But when I'm ready, when he calls me home, I'm ready. And then he looked to the congregation. He asked them, are you ready? It was a powerful sermon. And that night he went to bed, and he never woke up. His funeral was on the night of Good Friday. It was a packed room where a lot of people came together to celebrate his life. It is the best funeral that I've ever attended, and that's a weird thing that ministers would say, right? But it was. It was powerful. There were tears in the room, but man, there was so much more celebration. And it was a long service because there was a lot to celebrate. There was a lot of things that happened in the service. There's a lot of people who were involved. There's a lot of things that were said. But a, a pattern started happening, started noticing something happening over and over and over again. Everyone who walked onto stage, who had a microphone, who was given the right to speak into the life of Tom, who had the right to say something, every single one of them tried to talk about Tom. But they couldn't because naturally the conversation just took them to Jesus. Every single one of them. And they tried, they just couldn't help it. We sang songs. It wasn't sorrow and sad. It was praise and worship. It was all about Jesus. It was a celebration of Jesus. And look, he was a preacher, right? Some of you, I know, are sitting there thinking that you're just going to dismiss the story. Well, of course Jesus was celebrated. He's a preacher. He's a professional Christian, right? That's, you know, Doc and I are, are pros at this whole Christian thing, right? Tom was one of the most regular guys I've ever met. He worked with the local FFA chapters. He judged pigs in the county fairs. He was a well-respected man outside of the church and inside of the church. He was a normal, regular guy. He was a guy like so many of us in this room right now, except that he chose to let Jesus write his story. His death lingered over our Easter service. There was a great fear about how our Easter service was going to go. It was the first time that our church would be together collectively since his death, and it was one of the most powerful Easter services I've ever been a part of. We started that morning with four microphones across the front of the stage, an elder standing at each one with a piece of paper, a prepared statement that they were going to make, each of them reading different sections. And it began with them affirming their love for Tom, how much they appreciated him and valued him and how much they would miss him. They communicated their love and support to his wife, Colleen, and to his children and grandchildren, and that they loved them deeply. And then it turned, and they blatantly said that they refused to allow Tom to hijack Jesus' day, which I think is exactly what Tom would have wanted. And that day, we refused to let the dead distract us from the one who walked out of the grave, because it was never Tom's story to begin with. It was never his life to begin with. It was Jesus, which is why his life was so grand. He lived for something so much bigger than himself. Do you suppose that anyone sitting in his funeral felt like his life was too shallow? Man, if you're the star of your story, your story is too small. 
Make Jesus the main character of your story. It's the best story that there is. Not many people get a biography. Not many people get their story that they told with their life written out. But nearly everyone gets an obituary. Nearly everyone gets a eulogy. And your obituary or your eulogy are going to tell the story that you wrote or the story that you allowed Jesus to write. And people are reading your story or they're reading Jesus' story. And the best story that's ever been told is Jesus' story. Why would you not want to be a part of that? It's an incredible story because it's all about grace. Jesus is the headline. He's the author. He's the main character. I mean, you have a story too. You were born. That's cool. But your second birth was more important. That's your real birth, and that birth is all about Jesus. And you grew up. That's great. But your growth in Jesus was more important because it's all about Jesus. And you're going to die one day. But that isn't the end of your story, and it's not the end of Jesus' story. Your eternal future is all about Jesus. If at the end of my life we celebrate anything other than God's grace, then I missed it. If at the end of your life we celebrate anything other than Jesus and God's grace in your life, then you missed it. You missed it. If you aren't letting Jesus write your story, then you're not telling the right story opportunity for you today guys to come join the story to be a part of something much bigger than yourself it is all jesus it's all about jesus and it's the best possible life you could live if it's time for you to take that step let's do it i'm right up here you know the water's already warm we proved it it's ready let's start this story riding with jesus stand
see for a second my friend doc wants to say something yeah. good morning uh, my name is Audra Hoofnagel um, I am the principal of Elkhorn Middle School and um, since January um, I've had the honor of being Jayla's bonus mom she's been staying with us for a little while is we're working through th some family stuff. So uh, Connie, that was baptized earlier today, is my mom. And um, 
It's been a really powerful day for me. My dad was actually baptized in this um, as well. He's been gone for um, several years, but um, it's just a really cool full, full circle moment today. And Jayla said to me, um, I want to be baptized in this church after uh, today happened. And so we said, let's, let's do this now. So Jayla, I'm like, I know I'm shaking. It's just a really powerful feeling. I'm like shaking with excitement and, and yeah. So anyways, will you please repeat after me? Uh, I believe that Jesus is the Christ. I believe that Jesus is the Christ. The Son of God. The Son of God. And I accept him as my personal Lord and Savior. And I accept him as my Lord, my personal Lord and Savior. Okay. Um, no. Okay. All right. Because of your confession of faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I baptize you now in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of God's Holy Spirit. I love you so much. I'm so proud of you. Now, guys, that is cool, is it not? That's what it's about. That is so cool. Guys, the service is kind of like over. If you want to hang around here for a couple minutes, Steve is going to lead in another song. If you need to take off, go away. Thanks, guys.